Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with evolutionary changes within species, as we pick up in Genesis chapter 6, verse 16. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now, of course, when Noah brought them in, uh, it was all after their kind. In other words, he didn't have to bring in dacoons and colliers and spaniels and samoyeds and all different He could bring in one pair of dogs. Uh, and there are mutant strains that do exist. And there is definitely evolutionary processes that take place on a horizontal plane within a family, within a species. There are the changes, the mutant changes that can take place within species. So he didn't have to bring in all kinds of cats, Persian, Siamese, etc. Just one pair of cats would do. And so the, the variations that have come within species, there's no problem with that. So the ark, you know, wouldn't have to bring one of every variety within a species, just the major species head for each species that he brought in and allowing evolutionary changes within a species. Where you cannot find evidence for evolutionary changes is in the vertical, the transition from one species to another. That's where the evidence is lacking. Sure, you can show that a, a, a monkey of one period had, you know, 18 teeth and another, and, and during the different periods, you know, there were mutant strains and so forth, and more teeth and less teeth, etc. Changes of facial parts and so forth. Sure, you can have mutants in a horizontal change, but you don't have vertical changes from one species to another. And this, of course, is where the theory of evolution fails in proof of any transitional forms in the changing from one species to another species. And so the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all of your house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Now of the clean beast thou shalt take by sevens, male with his female. So seven pair of the clean beast. And of the beasts that are not clean, by two, the male with his female. Of the fowls of the air, by sevens, the male and the female, to keep the seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will cause it to rain upon the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him, and Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood and of the clean beasts and the beasts that were not clean and the fowls and everything that creeps upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. And in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, 
The same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. Now you remember back in the first chapter of Genesis that God set a space, the raquia, the, the heavens, separating the waters which were above the heavens and the waters which were upon the earth. These waters now condensed and fell to the earth, but with that, the great fountains of the deep being broken up. There were great upheavals, no doubt, upward thrust of mountain ranges. It could be at this time that the Himalayas did rise out of the sea. As former mountain ranges collapsed into the sea, the pressure of the water as the body, the ocean bodies removed, the pressure pushing downward upon the new ocean beds would thrust upwards mountain ranges and uh, would create a, uh, a whole violent change in the geographical surface of the earth. And I have no doubt but that there were many dramatic changes as far as geography is concerned at the time of the flood as mountain ranges would disappear the great fountains of the deep broken up the rain descending the pressure of the new oceans and the changing of oceans and so forth would of course create great changes there used to be a vast ocean up in the area of middle northern America, up in the area of Salt Lake, and they feel that that's all that's left of, which, of what was once a very vast ocean. You go over to the uh, south rim of the canyon there, and you find at the 8,000-foot level fossil remains of sea fish, shells, mollusks, and so forth. Uh, so that area was once covered by a vast ocean. Dinosaurs lived around its edges. The Painted Desert is an interesting area to search for dinosaur artifacts. I have a very interesting vertebrae of a dinosaur from the Painted Desert there. And it's very interesting to go and search for the remains of the dinosaurs uh, that were once around the shores of the vast ocean uh, that was up in that area or the vast sea, whichever the case may be. But there have been great cataclysmic changes, upward thrust, pressures by the water changing its beds and so forth, and all testify to the truth the biblical account of their one time being a great cataclysmic upheaval in which the fountains of the deep were opened. Changes of the ocean floors, changes of mountain ranges, upward thrust, other areas sinking and disappearing. It could be that the lost continent of Atlantis and Mu that there is in reality a basis of fact that these did exist and they could have been eliminated by this great flood, by the whole change of the structures. 
They have found in the Middle Atlantic vast beds of sand. You only have sand on the seashore. It's caused by the action of the movement of the water wearing down the, the, the rocks and so forth, the granite. Much of the sea is covered by silt through the centuries, just the silt settling down to the bottom of the ocean. But these great beds of sand are something they can't explain out in the middle of the Atlantic, showing that it was once a beach, a seashore. Why isn't it covered by several feet of silt? How did it get there? All interesting things that the scientists have not yet figured out. But the flood, with the changes of the surface of the earth, would easily explain all of these things. So the great fountains of the deep were broken up. The windows of heaven were open, and the rain was upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And in the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth in the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. I only wish that he could have gotten those two fleas <laughs> at that time. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all the flesh wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, and God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was for 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. All the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the water prevail, and the mountains were covered. Now, <laughs> there are some who try to make this a local flood that it only happened in the Babylonian plain. Well, then why would God put Noah to the job of building such a big boat? Why did he just say, move out of this plain, Noah, over in the next mountain you know, range and all, and get into that valley over there because this thing is going to get flooded? And how could the ark be deposited on Mount Ararat and how could the waters cover Mount Ararat, 15 feet above, which is 17,000 feet high? How could the waters just be piled up in that one area without being dispersed around the face of the earth? So those who try to just make this a local flood have many problems. Why bring all the animals in? It would not at all be necessary if it were just a localized flood. But evidence... Of course, the scripture declares it was a worldwide flood and evidence would seem to go along with the scriptures on this. That is the whales being found here in Vermont, 500 feet above sea level and the cavern in Maryland and things of this nature with the various animals thrust in and broken up. 
The flood was 40 days upon the earth. The waters increased, bare the ark. It was lifted up above the earth. The waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. The ark went upon the face of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. All the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. That is 15 feet above the highest mountain. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and cattle and beast and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things, the fowl of heaven. They were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive. And they that were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth for a hundred and fifty days, almost a half a year. The waters prevailed upon the earth during this time of great cataclysmic upheaval. Now, Jesus, when talking to his disciples about the signs of his coming in the end of the world, said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The days of Noah were days of rapid population explosion. It came to pass in those days when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth. So population explosion during Noah's day. The days of Noah were days of abnormal sexual behavior, the sons of God seeing the daughters of men. Jesus says that they were days in which marriage vows were cast aside and men were marrying and giving in marriage or live-in type of relationships, not honoring the marriage vows, casting them aside. The days of Noah were days of wickedness, man's mind being evil continually. They were days of corruption, and they were days of violence. As it was in the days of Noah, so it is today. Noah was to be a sign of the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe that Noah also gives to us another sign of sorts. For Noah was upon the earth at the time of God's great judgment of the earth because of the wickedness. And God is going to again judge the earth because of wickedness. But I do not believe that Noah is the type of the church that God preserves during his period of judgment. There is a group that God is going to preserve during the period of coming judgment that will be sheltered by God. These are the 144,000, the Israelites who will be sealed by God and be sheltered from many of the judgments of God that are coming. That seal upon their forehead, the name of God upon their forehead, will be, as it were, an ark. But I believe that Enoch is a type of the church who walked with God and was not, for God took him. But before God took him, he had this testimony that he pleased God 
And Enoch was taken up before the flood, before the judgment of God, being a type of the church, and Noah, the type of the 144,000 Israelites that are sealed, is protected by God and taken through the judgment of God that is coming upon the earth, even as the 144,000 will be protected and taken through. The interesting thing to me is that God placed Noah in the ark and he shut the door. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was preaching to these people during the hundred-year period that he was building the ark, warning them of God's impending judgment that was to come. But the people no doubt scoffed at Noah and laughed at his warnings and mocked the crazy old coot building a big boat out in the area where there was no water. But Noah, by faith, built the boat to the saving of his family. It brought salvation because he obeyed God. And God shut him in. At that point, the die was cast. Noah, his family, safe inside. The others on the outside, it's too late. That marked an interesting day between the mercy and the grace and the patience of God and now the necessary judgment. For God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. God's spirit does strive with man. That in itself is a miracle and a marvel. Why should God strive with me? Who am I that God should strive with me? Who are you that God should strive with you? What a miracle of grace that God would even strive with man. What a marvelous demonstration of his condescension and of his love and of his concern that God would even bother to strive with man. But what an awesome and solemn warning. God's Spirit won't always strive with you. In Hebrews, we read of those who have done despite to the spirit of grace, who have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith Jesus was sanctified an unholy thing, done despite to the spirit of grace. And there remains for them that certain looking forward to the fiery indignation of the wrath of God by which his enemies shall be devoured. For if he who despised Moses' law perished in the mouth of two or three witnesses, how much sore punishment suppose ye he should be counted worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, counted the blood of his covenant an unholy thing, done despite. 
to that spirit of grace that's been dealing with his heart. God's spirit will not always strive with man. There is a time we know not when, a line we know not where, that marks the destiny of men twixt sorrow and despair. There is a line, though by men unseen, once it has been crossed. Even God himself in all of his love has sworn that all is lost. It's possible for you to say no once too many times. It's possible for you to do despite to the Spirit of grace. It's possible for you to cross that line between the grace and the mercy and the patience and the long-suffering of God and the judgment of God. There came that day when Noah went in and God shut him in. What a glorious day when God shuts us in to himself, to that ark of refuge that he has provided for us through Jesus Christ. And I become a part of his beautiful kingdom through faith. May God, by his Holy Spirit, speak to each of us as we continue our journey through Genesis. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 6-7 through when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your Word together looking over these interesting things. Thank you for the record, Lord, that leads us to Jesus Christ and to eternal life in Him. Lord, let Thy Holy Spirit now implant upon our hearts Thy truths. In Jesus' name, amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For those who like to read books electronically on their mobile devices, you can now download most of Pastor Chuck and Kay Smith's books to your Kindle reader or any mobile device such as your cell phone. 
What a blessing to be able to have these resources with you at all times, especially when you're in a place to minister to another person. If you read eBooks, then you know the advantage of being able to search, find, and minister within seconds. And with all of Pastor Chuck and Kay's insights into biblical wisdom, this is a great opportunity to be able to gain from their book so you can share the good news with others. If you would like more information on how to download Pastor Chuck and Kay's eBooks, you can call the Word for Today customer service department at 1-800-272-9673. That's 1-800-272-9673. Or to download most of Pastor Chuck and Kay's eBooks online, visit thewordfortoday.org. Again, that's thewordfortoday.org.